So when I talk about you, who doesn't like that? I mean, I remember when my dad was in the hospital and he was having surgery for melanoma. And I had to, I wanted to keep him entertained. I also had uh, my mom with me. And I was trying to keep their spirits up. It was kind of intense at the time. So I grabbed this magazine that was full of personality tests. And so I'm doing personality tests on my dad and my mom, like for 30 minutes. And they're like, I'm like, okay, this one says you're a giraffe dad. And this one says, mom, you're a lioness. And she's like, I will not be a lioness if he's only a giraffe. That means I'd eat him up. Let's do it again. So, you know, until we got the right outcome. But people love to take personality tests. And why is that? Why is that? I think it's because we really don't know ourselves. We're really not sure of what we need. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you need. If I was to ask you this morning, what do you need most spiritually? What do you need most emotionally? What do you need most physically? I'd say that you'd probably come up with the wrong answer because you really don't know yourself. You know, there's such a thing as emotional eating. You know, when I'm frustrated, I think I want peach pie. When I'm angry, I think that I want chocolate. When I am stressed, I think I need ice cream. And, and you know, we, we get this all mixed up because we cannot read ourselves and we can't even supply ourselves with what we actually need. Sometimes we tend to center our whole life on, oh, I need a new figure. If I only had a figure, and I'm not talking a monetary figure, even though sometimes we think that's what we need, if I only had this much money, if I only had this house, if I only had these friends, if I only had this neighborhood, if I only had less wrinkles, if I only was younger, all these things we think will answer our need, they won't. They won't. You see, what we need, what we really need, is we need forgiveness. That's our deepest need. We need forgiveness and assurance of that forgiveness. You know, some of you are forgiven, but you don't live in the assurance of that forgiveness. And you, you need to know that you know that you know, I'm forgiven. The past is absolutely wiped out. It's been removed from me as far as the east is from the west, or as Malachi puts it, it's been dumped into the deepest sea. And God will remember it no more. The person that is most important to please refuses to recognize that we've ever sinned. You need to know that you are no longer accountable for the wrongs you have done. That God's not sitting there going, well, I still remember 1995. You know, have we really dealt with that one? God's not doing that. He's no longer holding you accountable. David said, oh, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He doesn't even reckon it in your account. You need to know, and this is a deep need, this is both a spiritual, emotional, and physical need, that you have been declared righteous, that you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, and that you will be forgiven, that all sins, past, present, and future are covered by Jesus' blood. You need to know this. Jesus, as your great high priest, has already made provision for all your sins. He has made available to you the very presence of God and all the benefits of having God as your father and having God pleased with you. And he is already appropriating to you all the blessings of God. In Psalm 27, 13, the psalmist said, I would have lost hope if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
In other words, if I didn't know that today I could be forgiven, today I could receive the benefits, the grace of God, the supplies of God, the love of God, the power of God. If I didn't know today that I can have these, I would have lost heart. I would faint. I wouldn't want to go on. Your greatest need is forgiveness and assurance of that forgiveness, but also it's access to God. You need to know that your prayers are heard. There is nothing more frightening than feeling like your prayers are not heard because you have no one who really sees, no one who really knows. But, oh, you need to know your prayers are heard and they will be answered. Not just simply answered, but they will be answered in the best possible way. Not necessarily the way you wanted it. Better. Better. Much better. As Tim Keller, who you saw earlier, said, they will be answered in the way you would have prayed had you known what God had in mind. Isn't that great? That... God goes one step above. When I was seven years old, I saw the first Mary Poppins with Julie Andrews. And in those days, we were not allowed to go to the movies. Don't ask me why there was this legalism. My dad had come out of that legalism, but my mom still was kind of saying, don't tell any of the relatives that I let you see Mary Poppins. And that I sat next to you while you watched it. You cannot tell. So my Aunt Isi, who was still in the Foursquare Church, said, you know, is there anything you want? I'm like, I want a Mary Poppins doll. And I can't tell you why. But I want a Mary Poppins doll. Well, there was a Mary Poppins doll that came with just one outfit. The one she was wearing. It was the one with the umbrella with the parrot on the end and her little blue uniform with the little hat with the flower popping out. And so that's the one I wanted. That's the one I expected. Well, I got to Arizona. My aunt had a camp called Camp Friendly Acres. And when I got to the cabin, there was a note and it sent me to look in the bureau and then the bureau sent me to a certain drawer and the drawer sent me to the refrigerator and the refrigerator sent me to the mirror in the bedroom and the mirror in the bedroom sent me under the couch in the living room and under the couch sent me back to the bureau where I first started at the bottom cabinet. And when I opened it up, there was not just a single Mary Poppins doll. Mm, 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 mm. But that's what I had asked for. There was Mary Poppins with every single accessory and outfit she wore in the movie. And my Aunt Isi said, I know you go to movies and it's okay, but don't tell your mom I know. I lived in a family of secrets. <laughs> but my Anisi went beyond. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. You need to know your prayers are heard and that they will be answered. And the only reason they tarry is because the answer is so much bigger and better than you imagined. You need to know that God accepts you, and that's why you have access. And he is willing to give you all the grace you need whenever you need it and for whatever you need it. All the grace you need. He's not going to withhold his grace from you. You ask for grace, you're going to get it in bucketfuls. You're going to get an abundance of grace, more grace than you counted on. What else do you need? You need understanding. Oh, do you need understanding? You need understanding. Sometimes you're like trying to explain it to maybe your spouse, your friend, and they get that look like you're from a different planet than I am. You know, 
I am from Earth, and you are from? It's just that they're not getting you. And so then you try to explain it in other ways. And they don't understand why you did that or why you think that way or or why you would ever act that way. Like, what was going through your mind? You know, sometimes Brian will say, what are you thinking? And I don't want to tell him. Because it takes an explanation of how I got to that point. Because if I just tell him what I'm thinking at that moment, there's no reference point for it. I have to go like way back. Like remember when we passed the big yellow house to the right and it's all closed down? Well, I was thinking, I wonder what it would be like to make that a bed and breakfast, which made me think of if I had a bed and breakfast, I'd like to supply it with, this is true, thought pattern. I would like to supply it with bicycles so people could bicycle. But if people bicycled, they'd need a good trail and they'd need a trail that's safe without cars and because I don't want a car to hit them. And it's so bad that people hit people and then they just drive off and it goes unreported. What would be a great way to report people that hit cars that would actually see them? And so he says, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about hit and run drivers. And he's like, why would you think about that? Understanding. But Jesus knows our thoughts. He thoroughly knows them. In Psalm 139, it says that there's not a thought in our mind or that goes through our mind that he doesn't know it all together. What is that know it all together? It means he knows the inception. He knows the process. And he understands because he knows our history. He knows our past. He knows everything that happened to us in grade school. He knows all all the words that were spoken to us and over us, the ones that stuck and the ones that didn't stick. He knows all of our hurts. He knows it all. And with all of this knowledge, he understands us. He understands. But he also knows us thoroughly because he's experienced life on earth. He went through everything we go through. When Jesus chose to come to earth and be a man, he didn't come. He didn't come as a grown-up. He came from the womb. He allowed himself to be reduced to the womb. He came out as a helpless baby so he could know our helplessness, so he could know our vulnerability, so he could know our needs, so he could know our communication, so he could know how we learn, so he could experience how we grow and have growing pains. He he knew this because he's omniscient, but he chose to experience it so that he could say, I know, as we already read in Hebrews, that it pleased the Father to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, Jesus chose to go through the university of our suffering that he might not only know it, but get the degree in it. He knows exactly what you need every moment. He knows what you need in your life. He knows what you need in your present circumstances. Stances, and he knows what you need for your future. You know what else you need? You need an intercessor. You need someone who's going to explain you to others. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, will you explain me to my man? Will you just tell him? Can he see my heart for a moment? Could he see? Because you know, sometimes like Brian will say to me, I know why you did that. No, you do not know why. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know how you react in those. No, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. You don't always know because this time is different. This is a unique time, Brian. This is different. Isn't that true? I mean, you all have unique times. You know what it is. And somebody who thinks they know you, or you know, have you ever gotten the worst gift in the world for Christmas? And somebody says, I just knew you'd love it. And you're like, ah. <laughs> what do I do with this one? We need someone who is completely on our side. 
We need someone on our side. Someone who knows us completely, knows what we need, and goes for it. Goes for it. He advocates to get that thing we need. He says, let me return that awful present. Let me take it back to Nordstrom's and get the right thing, because Nordstrom's takes everything. Let me get the right thing and give it back to you. That's what he does. He is advocating. He is passionate for our best interest and our prosperity. Isn't that great? I remember, I don't know if you, when you were a little girl, when I was a little girl, my mother would pick out my best friends and she'd say, this is your best friend. And I would go, this is my best friend. But my best friends didn't always act in my best interest. They knew that my favorite flavor of lollipop was cherry. And my most unfavorite flavor was lemon. And my mom came home with a lemon lollipop for me one time. And I said, lemon. And she said, well, I thought you liked cherry, but your best friend told me you prefer lemon. And that's when I knew. She was not my best friend. Because my best friend would have wanted me to have cherry, knowing how I love cherry and how I gave lemon to the boy next door. We need someone who believes in us. They believe in us. They say, I believe in your heart. I know who you are. I believe in you. And therefore, because I believe in you, I want the best for you. You need an advocate who is holy, pure, authentic, divine, harmless, not vindictive, volatile, or vengeful. Oh, yes. You need an advocate who is undefiled, incorruptible, righteous, cannot be swayed to unrighteousness for any reason. You need an advocate who is separate from sinners, without any personal need, without selfish ambitions, and not motivated by the things that draw sinners. You need an advocate, though, who is powerful, who is authoritative, who is strong, who is influential and able to make things happen. In other words, you need an advocate who is higher than the heavens. This is exactly what you have through Jesus, in Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done. You see, you have what you really, truly need in the deepest reaches of your heart, spiritually, emotionally, but also physically. Hebrews 7, verses 18 through 28, reveals to us the why Jesus' priesthood was superior and more advantageous than the priesthood of Aaron. The first priesthood, according to verse 19, was based on commandments that were weak. Sorry, verse 18, that were weak in that they couldn't strengthen the adherent or produce righteousness in anyone. They couldn't do for us what we needed. The high priest couldn't make us strong. In fact, the high priest knew very few people. He was isolated. He lived in the temple compound. Very few people knew the high priest. He couldn't make anyone righteous. His sacrifice could only cover, but it couldn't profit. It was unprofitable in that it could not improve the internal condition of the heart. You were still left with the same heart that was going to need another sacrifice. It couldn't transform the heart. And it could not guarantee the eternal destiny of anyone. Because as soon as you got that atonement, you might go out and sin lie unexpectedly, unwillingly, just all of a sudden blurted out. Have you ever lied? No, we haven't. Well, I have. And I did it when I didn't mean to. I I was walking out. I don't know why I did this. Except for I think I got intimidated. And there were some people outside of the market that, you know, and they go, hi there. Do you care about the environment? 
you know what I said? It was a total lie. I said this. I used to be one of you. I'm not even sure what that meant. I was never one of them. I mean, I used to be human, but I still am. And I walked to the car and I heard the Holy Spirit go, you used to be one of them. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I just lied. I just didn't want to give them my money. And I didn't want to sign any forms. I, and, I, and I think their cause is a little bit crooked. I, I just, and I feel like they're doing it for a college class for, for points. Because I did something like that when I was in college, too, for points, for my civics class. High school. High school. I don't want to keep lying here. I did it in high school. But I, you know, I used to be one of you. And I, I'm sitting there in the car going, Lord, I just lied. Forgive me. Forgive me. And he's like, it's all right. I just brought it to your attention so we could get this cleared away. So you don't do that anymore. Hello, I used to be one of you. You know? But can you imagine? I'd need to go pick out another lamb and get right back to the temple and say, could you do this one? I, I just told somebody I was one of them. I'm not one of them. Here's another. I mean, I told Brian, if we lived under the old covenant, you wouldn't have a flock. You know, I'd be like, sorry, Brian. I had a bad thought. You know, he'd be looking around like, where's sheep number six? Sorry. I took your money that was on top of the dresser. I don't know why you leave it there, but I took it. You know, it would be just, I'm sorry, we'd lose the flock. Part of because obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, I think that might have been a sin, just in case I'm taking sheep number seven. Jesus' priesthood also brought a better hope. And, and this word hope means certain expectation or a secure expectation, something that's definitely going to happen. Without doubt, it's going to happen. Christmas is an expectation. It comes every year. It's a certainty. And that's what we're talking about, this hope. It's a certainty. We like it, we want it, and it's guaranteed. It's going to happen. It came by a better ordination, the ordination of Melchizedek. It brought a better covenant. It's continuous, it's constant, and it gives us an unchanging priesthood. It brought a thorough salvation, not just a partial atonement or a yearly atonement. It brought a thorough salvation, one that not only forgave forever, but also cleansed. And it brought us passionate intercession for whatever we need. Jesus is superior to any earthly priest because he cannot die. And he is fitting for us. In other words, he is everything we need and he has been perfected forever. He has been declared righteous. He has been proven righteous and he has been ordained righteous high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The past priesthood under Moses, and here's where we're going to get our history lesson. During the Mosaic priesthood, there had to be an ordination, Exodus 29. The ordination was that Aaron was appointed by Moses. Though he was chosen by God, he was appointed by Moses. Aaron was not perfect. Perhaps you remember this about Aaron, that when Moses went up into the mountain, the people came to Aaron and they said, make us a God. And he said, give me your earrings, give me your jewelry. And then he took them and he fashioned a calf and he gave it to the people of Israel. And he said, here's your God. Here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. Then when Moses came down the mountain, as if it wasn't bad enough to lead the people in idolatry, to facilitate their idolatry, when Moses came down from the mountain and said, what happened? He said, oh, it was the people. They pressed me so hard to make them a god, and I just, I just found some gold, threw it in the fire, and look what came out. He lied. Duh. He lied. He was not perfect. He had to have a sacrifice on his behalf for his sins before he could ever offer anything for the sins of the people. The high priest was anointed by a special oil of the sanctuary and the blood of the lamb. Aaron and his sons had to place their hands on the lamb who would be sacrificed for them. And the blood was to be applied to their 
right earlobe, their right thumb, and their right big toe. In other words, they had to be told, you are to hear the Lord, and your hearing should be sanctified, and your doing should be sanctified, and where your walk, you should be sanctified. You have to remember this call on your life. And then they had to be consecrated for seven days. They had to be like um, um, interred for, for 30 days, for seven days where they couldn't talk or see anyone before they could even begin to officiate in the tabernacle or temple. What were the duties of the high priest? A duty, the duty was one to wear the holy garments. And you read about these holy garments in Exodus chapter 28. And one was an ephod, which was more of like a shoulder covering, an ephod. And in the ephod were two stones, one on the right shoulder, one on the left shoulder. And the onyx stones each had engraven six of the tribes of Israel. So this contained six tribes, this contained six tribes. And Aaron was to wear those on his shoulders. In other words, he was to bear the burden of Israel. He was responsible for the spiritual upkeep and the spiritual health of Israel. He was always bearing the burden of Israel. Then he had a breastplate. And on this breastplate, it was made so it had like a pocket. But on the front, it had four uh, rows with three gemstones each. And each of those gemstones represented a tribe of Israel. And he wore this over his heart. And that was to remind him of the value of the tribes, of the Jews to God. That God looked at these people as his gems, as his precious jewels. And he was to wear them on his heart because God carried and valued and had them on his heart. Inside this pocket was called the umum and the thummim, or the urim and the thurm. It was these two stones. And how they worked, I don't know, but they were to determine the will of God. So the priest was to know the will of God, to always be seeking the will of God, to always seek to please the Lord in everything he did and for the people of Israel. On the hem of his robe were pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet. And there were bells all around the hem, not real pomegranates, but the likenesses of, of pomegranates that were um, embroidered and bells all around the hymn, so that whenever he walked, he would hear the jingle of bells and remember that he was representing the Lord so that he would not forget the sacredness of his duty. He had a turban of pure of um, fine linen with a pure gold band that was engraved holiness to the Lord. In other words, his thoughts were to be dedicated to God, and he was to remember that the purpose of his life was to please God. When Aaron was given these garments, Moses told him that they were for glory and beauty, to show to the people the sanctity and holiness of serving God, but they were also to represent the glory and beauty of God. The high priest represented God to the people, God's holiness, God's glory, God's beauty, but also God's separateness. No one could wear these garments but the high priest. No one else was allowed to wear these kingly royal garments but the high priest. And he was only allowed to wear them when he was in the temple or the tabernacle doing the service of the Lord. He could not wear those garments among the people um, in the streets to go to the market, to go to the butcher. He couldn't wear those garments in his own home. He could only wear those garments when he was serving in the temple or tabernacle. He had oversight of all that pertained to the tabernacle or to the temple. 
He was in charge of everything. He was in charge of the purity of the vessels, making sure they were cleansed the right way, of the upkeep of the temple and the temple vessels and the furniture in the temple. He was in charge of the sanctity, making sure no unclean person or unclean animal was uh, given to the tabernacle or in the temple or tabernacle. And the priest's job was never done. There were no chairs in the tabernacle or the temple signifying that the entire time the high priest could never sit down because his job was never done. Because there is always a sin to be covered. There was always something to do either for the temple or for the people. He had oversight of the sacrifices. Sometimes he participated in them, but mainly he just watched the other Levites and put certain Levites in charge of sacrifices. So he had oversight of the daily sacrifices. Two lambs a day, one in the morning and one at night. Burn offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, fellowship offering. He had oversight of the Levites and priests, those who offered the sacrifices. He had oversight of the law of God. He was to be in charge of making sure that the people knew the word of God and were taught the word of God. He was also in charge of enforcement of the feast and celebrations of the Lord to make sure they weren't missed and that they were done the right way and that the right sacrifices were carried out at the right feasts. And he was in charge of all the rituals at the feast. He also had oversight of seeing lepers that were cleansed were to go to the high priest. They were to show themselves to the high priest. So he was in charge of cleansed lepers, cleansed houses, and ritual cleansings. Interesting enough, in the Old Testament, the high priest never had to exercise this because the only person who was ever cleansed of leprosy in the Old Testament, besides uh, Mary and Moses' sister, was uh, uh, a Gentile, Naaman, the Gentile, only person. But in the New Testament, do you remember when Jesus said, go show yourself to the high priest every time he cleansed the leper? Go show yourself to the high priest. Go show yourself to the high priest. Do you know what happened? The high priest is like, oh, wait, I know there's something written about what I'm supposed to do. And as he had to take those two birds, and I won't go into it because it's kind of gory. He had to wring the neck of one. And I won't tell you the rest because it's really gory. But he had to do this whole ritual over this cleansed leper and inspect him and verify that he was truly cleansed. And you know what he was knowing? Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Jesus just did what only the Messiah could do. No one else ever sent a cleansed leper to the high priest. This was never invoked before Jesus. He also made annual atonement for the nation. Now, this is something that only the high priest could do. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, once a year, and this feast proceeds or goes before the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would have to offer a sacrifice for himself. And this this, um, offering took place on the brazen or bronze altar outside of the temple or that had been outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard. And he would offer first a sacrifice for his sins, his own sins. And then he would offer a sacrifice for the people. And he would take the blood of that sacrifice along with incense into the Holy of Holies just once a year. Only once a year could the high priest, having been cleansed, go in and appear before God on behalf of the people. Now he took incense And the incense would obscure the Holy of Holies so he couldn't see anything. And it says that in Leviticus 16, that this was done so he would not die. Because even in his cleansed state, having offered a sacrifice, going in with the blood uh, of the covenant, of the sacrifice had just made on behalf of the people, if he saw the Ark of the Covenant, If it wasn't obscured by the incense, 
he would die because it was such a holy place. And he was still not righteous enough. There, coming out, he was also to bless the people. Numbers 6, 23, 27, what is often called the ironic blessing, not ironic, ironic blessing, because it was to be practiced by the priest. And you know this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it says this, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. The high priest was to bless the people. Now, there were problems with this priesthood. One, the priests were subject to sin. We see Zadok in 1 Kings 1.8, and he chooses the wrong side. Instead of siding with David, he sides, or with Solomon, the son of David, he sides with Adonijah. Another problem, Hilkiah, who was a priest during the time of Josiah, he lost the word of God. He didn't even know what the word of God said. It was completely lost and hidden in the temple. You've got during the reign of um, Ahaziah that he comes back and he pressures the priest to put um, a new altar in the courtyard, one that would be to a pagan god. And this priest, cooperates with idolatry. During the time of Manasseh, the priests were so weak that they let Manasseh put in booths of perversion all over the temple courtyard. So the problem was the priests were subject to sin. They were weak. They were men. They, they buckled under pressure, but also they died because they were human. They took office according to heritage, not according to purity of heart or by an oath of God. And they often became derelict in their obligations. And the fact that a sacrifice had to be offered daily and then once a year for themselves showed their sinful nature and their weakness and the inability of the sacrifice itself to fully atone for the nation or people of Israel. But Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the perfect priest because his ordination is superior. It's by an oath of God, Psalm 110.4. The great I am stated by an oath that he would not change, that he would not relent from. And he stated that there would be no other high priest that he would recognize or acknowledge but the priesthood of Melchizedek. God swore and he will not relent. He will not turn back. He will not change his mind. You are forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's interesting to note that since AD 70, just some 20 or 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, the office of high priest was absolutely obliterated. For over 2,000 years, Israel has been without a high priest. There has been no sacrifice for sin. So either God failed his promises to Israel or Jesus is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. In 70 AD, the priests were killed. In fact, the high priests were killed by the Jews themselves, by the Saracens, which were Jews that carried knives. They were zealots that carried knives and they were so upset over the corruption that they saw in the priesthood that they fell even before Titus entered the city. They had killed the high priest. The genealogical records were burned and destroyed and the Jews were scattered. The temple itself was destroyed. There is no offering for sin left except the one that was offered once and for all by Jesus Christ. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, of which the oil that anointed Aaron was only a type. In Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, we see at his baptism that the Holy Spirit descended on him, anointing him like a dove landing on him. On the testimony of God speaking from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he was baptized. That was the ordination of Jesus. His work is superior. It gives us a better hope. Verse 21, the Old Testament sacrifices never brought anyone to God. 
No one could enter the Holy of Holies. No one could approach God. They just kept men from God's judgment against sin. But Jesus' covenant, Jesus' work, Jesus' high priest gives us access to God. We can draw near to God because of Jesus, and we can call God Father. We, we not only can have access, we have bold access. We can go 24-7 to where even the high priest could, could not go, to a greater altar of which the earthly altar was only a type, to a greater throne room of which the Holy of Holies was only a type. His covenant is better. Verse 22. We're going to talk more about this in chapter 8. But his covenant is absolutely sure. And it is purchased for us on the basis of what Jesus has done and not on the basis of what we do for Jesus. His reign is superior, verse 23, because he is unchanging, not subject to sin. He cannot die. He is eternal and he continues forever. His work is superior, verse 25. What he accomplished, the high priest could never accomplish. Priests could only cover for sin, but he is able to save to the uttermost. Absolutely. Thoroughly. There is no one too far gone from the availing power of Jesus' blood. No one. No one. No sinner out there is too far from Jesus. Jesus can save to the uttermost. His blood doesn't simply cover. It cleanses, transforms, eradicates sin, and emancipates the believer completely from the power of sin. It saves anyone who applies it. All those who come to God through him are saved to the uttermost, the uttermost. Verse 25, his intercession is superior. Why? Because it's constant. He ever lives to make intercession. It is passionate. He ever lives to make intercession. It's his cause. It's his purpose. It's his occupation. It's his joy to talk about you to the Father and say, Father, this one needs this and that and this and that. And aren't we delighted to give it to them? And I already paid for it. So let's send it to them right now. Isn't that amazing? This is his joy. This is what he loves to do. This is his pleasure to talk to God about your need, not about your sin, but your need, your need. Oh, Father, they need love right now. They need to know that they are loved. Oh, Father, they need to know that they're forgiven. Oh, Father, they need grace to make it through this trial. Oh, God, they need to know that your favor is upon them. Oh, God, they need friends. Oh, God, they need community. Oh, God. They need faith right now. Oh, God, they need provision. Lord, they need some finances. They need food. Oh, God, he knows what we have need of. It's passionate and it's potent. He is on the right hand, the most powerful place. He is on the right hand of God. God does not refuse the son. God delights in giving the son anything and everything he asks for. And the son asks for exactly what is right. It is protective. You have an advocate who is on the right hand of God. So he is asking for your protection. You are not alone. You are never alone. It is perfect. It is exactly what is needed for you, for this time, for this place and for your future. Now, Jesus, going back as high priest, his person is superior to Aaron or any of the priests of Aaron. Verse 26, he is fitting for us. He is just what we need and everything we need in a high priest because he's holy. 
He's without sin. He cannot be corrupted. He cannot be tainted. He cannot be changed. He is harmless or he is safe. There are no ulterior or hidden motives with him. He is always for us. He is not, again, vindictive or violent or volatile or vengeful. I used to not be able to watch Green Acres. Some of you don't even know what Green Acres was, but it had uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor's sister. And I couldn't watch it because Eddie Albert, some of you don't even know that name, but he was so temperamental. He was always getting angry. I had a dad who was like this. I mean, I, my dad was always calm. And he said, Cheryl, only weak men lose control. And so what did I do? I married a man that's just like this. And I remember um, I, my dad asked me, why Brian? Why Brian, Cheryl? And I said, Dad, I told you I wouldn't get married unless I found someone just like you. But I found someone just like you. I didn't think it was possible, but I found him. And then he was like, hmm, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. God's not vindictive. He's not violent. He's not volatile. You can't set him off by asking for the wrong thing in prayer. What did you say? What word did you use? He's not volatile or vengeful. How dare you let your phone go off while Cheryl's speaking? He's not like that. And then forget to turn it off or not be able to. I can, I can never find my purse. I mean, my phone in my purse. So it's ringing. Bring, 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 and it's like, I know it's in there. By the time I get to it, the person has given up on me. I don't blame them. I give up on me too. God is not, Jesus is not arbitrary. I'll help you now because I feel like it. But I don't know if I'm going to feel like it tomorrow. No, he's not arbitrary. He is constant. He is not contradictory. He is absolutely sincere. He is undefiled, without sin, victorious over sin, undefiled. He always gained the victory over sin. Satan had nothing on him. He never gave in to sin. He never gave in to temptation. He is separate from sinners. He is royal, just like the priest wore the royal garments. He is greater than we are. He is the best of men. And he, perfect, he perfectly represented two men, God, the heart of God, the law of God, the will of God, the burden of God, and the work of God. Jesus perfectly represented God to men and represented men to God. He is exalted and has become higher than the heavens. He has all authority. He has all power. He has all prestige. He is the perfect high priest, the ultimate high priest. Verses 27 and 28 of Hebrews 7. He did not need to offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he never sinned. He endured the whole human experience and never sinned. And yet he felt our pain. He lived our lives. He experienced our frustration and he was touched by our infirmities. And he has been perfected forever. He is forever the high priest we need. This is the great high priest that we have through Jesus, the Messiah. He is the mediator to God that we need. He is the one that can completely deal with our sins, eradicate, make us presentable to God. Dress us in the right clothes for this occasion of going into the Holy of Holies. You can't wear that. You have to wear the robes of my righteousness. One that can completely reconcile us to God. One that can take us with him into the Holy of Holies. And he can look at the throne of God. And now we can look at the throne of God through Jesus and be saved. He has offered the only sacrifice that has availed that has forgiven us and cleansed us completely from our sins. He has brokered the best covenant for us. He has done all the work. And now we only need believe in him and what he has done. And we have access to God. 
and he passionately intercedes for us, knowing what we need. He prays constantly for us. This is his occupation. This is his joy. This is his delight. He is for us. He is on our side. He wants the absolute best for us, and he communicates God's heart to us. He imparts God's person, God's presence, and God's purposes to us. Yes, this is the high priest we have in Jesus. Jesus alone is the high priest that still stands. Jesus alone is the high priest that God recognizes and accepts. Jesus is the only eternal high priest. He is the high priest we need, and we have such a high priest who is fitting for us. What we deeply eternally and constantly need is found in our high priest, Jesus. He is perfectly suited for us. He is all sufficient. And his sufficiency covers all our deficiency. This is our high priest. Let's stand. Let me say this first to you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the name of the Lord. This is the name we carry. This is the blessing and our expectation, our certain hope because of Jesus, our high priest, not because of who we are, but because Jesus is grander, greater, and more glorious than we ever realized or never knew. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to your greatness. Open our eyes to your grandeur. Open our eyes to your glory and to your goodness, Lord, that we might appropriate, that we might live as women who have a high priest who has forgiven their sins, who intercedes for them so we have no need. We are, we are equipped as women who are blessed, as women who are victorious, as women who are loved and known and accepted and well-dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we see you as you are, that we might know who we are through Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.